Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be deemed as forward-looking. Any such statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ from those projected. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, tax, or other professional services. Welcome everyone to episode 39 of Top of Mind with Concilia Wealth. How and I are back today. Uh, for our final episode of 2023 as we close the year. We thought today would be interesting to talk about the predictions that we made for 2023, what we got right, uh, and more importantly, what we got wrong, and then also discuss some of our predictions, or I should say house predictions, um, for 2024. So just things that we think are going to happen next year, and we'll do the same thing next year and see how close we were. Um, also on today's episode, since it's the last episode of the year, uh, we wanted to highlight a couple other fun things. We've been quoted, Concilio has been quoted a number of times in outside publications. You may have seen that come through in our blogs. Um, we've been quoted in Smart Asset. We've been quoted in, in um, uh, Money Geek and a number of these other publications, Yahoo Finance, which is super cool to see. That's something that we uh, didn't see as much of the prior year. So hats off to our team for... Uh, uh, submitting uh, quotes for articles that are coming through our inbox and, and getting quoted. It's cool to see. If you've seen one of our articles or seen any of our names out there, shoot us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to see if you're you're seeing our, our stuff outside of just in our own blogs and our website. All right, without further ado, how we should kick this off, eh? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Um... Well, let's see here. What did we... Oh, yeah. One more thing I wanted to highlight. So on our last episode, we talked about how uh, how and another team member of ours, Alex, both received their CFA designations. They both passed level three. Um, yep. For those that are tuning in watching on YouTube, it's this massive, almost obnoxiously large... <laughs> uh, what is that? An 11 by 18 or something? Uh, 22, 17 by 22. Thank you. Yeah, only measured it once, I'm sure. Yeah. Committed it to memory. So um, I, I, I just wanted to point out once again that, that these two gentlemen put a zillion hours in past these exams, and it's pretty cool to have two CFAs on our team. And uh, Alex is actually driving down to see you, How I think he leaves tomorrow. You guys are hanging out this weekend to celebrate. I think he promised you that trip if you both passed, right? Yeah, so we studied together, and Alex was <clears throat> kind of dreaming um, for this day where we'd both pass at the same time. And to be clear, that's not a given. This level three was a 47% pass rate when we took it. Um, yeah. And this is, you know, more than half the people fail. And this is um, pretty common for the test. It's that difficult. And yeah. we're talking about other finance financial professionals, students, people who've been studying the same content we have, and the majority of them fail that take it. So when he says, we're going to go celebrate, that was pretty much a pipe dream when we were um, sitting well, down and, for and the And the fact test, that yeah. you both passed, right? I mean, a 50% yeah. pass rate would suggest one of you passes and one of you doesn't if, if the Correct. odds are, are just Correct. the odds. So 
hopefully Alex listens to this. I I always thought it was a pipe dream because I just just know the numbers game of it. And no matter how much you prepare, they suggest 300 hours at least. Uh, wow. I know me and him have both individually put in at least 400 hours. And yeah, he he is in Seattle for everyone's you know geographic sense, and I'm in Sacramento. So he's going to take the 12-hour drive down, and we're going to go see the Kings game and, you know, just tour Sacramento. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, congrats again to you both, and we should have Alex on the pod. That'd be fun. Yep. Yep. That'd Thank be you. Fun. All right. Um, let's dive in. What's What did we talk about in 2023? What were our, our high-level points? How and what did we get wrong? And what did we get right? Yeah, and this this was a newsletter. So if you want to refer to um, the article, it was published in February. I know it's kind of late, but I promise you, I wrote it sometime in late December, early January. Uh, but it is posted under the the name um, "Prediction Sure to Be Wrong" on our website under Insights. And <clears throat> I guess I'll go through the top three, and then we we could just discuss each one. In more detail so to be clear this is my opinion as Chris mentioned earlier this doesn't reflect the opinion of the firm as a whole um, so for 2023 I said and we and, and also uh, the things that were wrong were totally Howe's opinion and the things yes. that were right I probably had some influence that's on. how that's how it works right that's how it works, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's, yeah, high level, and uh, I guess we'll dig into it, and then uh, we'll we'll uh, look into the 2024 predictions. So uh, <clears throat> the first prediction was we'd enter a shallow, shallow recession in 2023. Um, that was wrong. The second prediction was uh, quality growth will win. That was right. I, I don't think I could have been more right on that one. Or we in that this instance. Right. <laughs> Thank and, you for that. Yeah, <laughs> I had to correct it. And then um, bonds will hold up even when rates go higher. You know, after a historically bad year for bonds in twenty two, uh, bonds have done extremely well, and we got higher rates. So bond math works out. That was probably the most predictable one for me. But um, yeah, we could go dig into the different. Uh, predictions starting with a shallow recession that everyone was convinced about yeah we've we're still one month away for now going on 20 months i think coming up on 24 months of of this this recession that's being predicted yeah yeah what's what do you think happened i mean how how so far have we avoided the recession sure yeah and that's the folly of predicting these kinds of things is when you hear recession you think 40% 40% stock market sell-off, right? We're just so used to extreme sell-offs in the stock market, and the word recession is so scary because mm-hmm. <clears throat> the last few recessions have been scary, right? We had yeah. COVID, we had the housing crisis, and then we had the dot-com bust, and they were so severe, at least in the stock market sense, that yet when we say recession, um, it it scares people. And I don't think that was the intent. We said shallow. And also to be clear, we said stay the course. I think one of two things would have happened if we did get a recession, it would have given the Fed reason to cut rates. And the market would ironically 
take off from there. That's what mm-hmm. what the prediction was. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty wrong uh, that, in terms of calling recession. Um, I think everyone felt like it was going to happen. And I, unfortunately, people still feel that we might be in the midst of one right now, which, you know, there's data versus feelings that we've been talking about. And I don't think there's any sign of it, which is setting up for a surprise, which recessions tend to surprise. And that's something we probably should have recognized at the time of the writing. We've talked in the past about consumer confidence not being that great. So people aren't feeling that optimistic in the future. You know, whoever those, those randomized couple thousand people are that are taking that phone call. Um, I guess my question for you, how is, is I I have two questions. Is there a, a technical definition for a shallow recession? Like is it a, is it a product of time or is, is that like, is there any, we've seen this a lot in the news. So I'm just asking yeah. if there's a yeah. technical, this one was shallow. What does that mean? Yeah. I, I, there's no technical res, um, shallow recession or deep recession definition, but, um, there are historical points. So the last shallow recession had been in the early nineties and no one talks about it because it was really shallow and everyone remind, remembers the nineties as a great investing decade. Um, so, so we do have historical comparison points, which again is bit folly too, because um, we use a bit of history to predict this recession that never happened. Because when the Fed raises raises rates this fast, historically you do follow a, follow that with a recession because it tightens up mm-hmm. everything and inverted yield had, curve as well. Yeah, yeah, inverted yield. All these signals that that said, hey. Screaming recession, slam dunk recession, never really came to light. It could eventually, but I don't think recession at this point will be uh, due to the Fed hiking rates at this point. I think they're pretty much done. I don't know if they're going to cut, but they will keep those bullets in the chamber to cut if we do get a recession. But it might be something else that causes it. I don't know what that is. We, we're not seeing anything in the data that's, you know, flagging any warnings right now. And my second question for you is, how did we avoid this? Like, what, the, the economy seems to be strong. Yeah. Everybody was predicting that not to happen. So what, what's just, and I don't know if that's an opinion or if there's any data, but how have we avoided a recession so far? I think we're finding more and more now where uh, counter to what history suggests when you raise rates this high, uh, we, we had about 11% of the debt outstanding uh, that was exposed to higher rates. So 89% of it was fixed. So 89% of anyone who hold, held debt, uh, like student loans, mortgages, right? If you had a 3% mortgage, it didn't suddenly go up to 8%. And that was the majority right. of the people uh, who had debt was it was fixed and it was fixed at historically low rates and it wasn't being refinanced because why would you refinance your mortgage rate from, you know, two and a half percent to eight, nine percent. So I think the biggest thing was we underestimated how much the consumer was insensitive to rate hikes, meaning Mm. they had all these savings, which they spent down, but they had all this debt that, 
was relatively cheap compared to what is what it was now. So, so we're less concerned about thousand dollar car payments um, and and rising uh, interest rates on on debt because the debt is mostly fixed. Correct. Uh, therefore, those payments are mostly fixed, and so it hasn't really influenced people. And my theory is that for a lot of the U.S. workers, wage inflation has been a good thing. Yeah. In the prior 10 years, they haven't seen really any wage inflation. Now they have. And for many people, I mean, I, I just, I drive by McDonald's every day to drop my son off. 20 bucks an hour starting wage at McDonald's. That's good. And so, you know, if, if, if the wages are, are continuing to go up in the services industry, which I think had to happen to bring people back into that line yeah. of work after COVID. Um, and another example is there's still a QR code out front of the grocery store I go to. We're hiring. They've been hiring for 18 months. Um, if, if that cohort is feeling good about their financial situation, they continue to spend. And possibly that's what's helped us stave off the recession because consumer spending is a big deal in the US. It's about 70% of GDP. I don't yeah, know if you think I'm wrong or right on that, but that's my theory. You're, I think you hit on the head. It's, it hasn't slowed down. And yeah, I don't know if it will slow down. I think people are tapping into debt more, which, again, would be a natural consequence of this. So that might be the other impact of the rate hikes is there's a lagged effect where that 11% of people who are sensitive to those hikes, that number starts to grow. And again, mm. the $1,000 car payment is might makes makes for good headline and we've admittedly touched on that um but it's just not a large portion of the population at least not yet interesting did we comment on this the the last year's predictions did we comment on inflation being transient uh transitory thank you (laughs) i don't think we did and i i think we were very specific about inflation for goods like uh, durable goods being, uh, not forgetting the word. I'm going to say transient, but it's uh, transitory. Sorry. Um, like we, we kept saying, yeah, we kept <laughs> saying who needs more than one washer and one dryer, right? The mm-hmm. demand for that is going to fall off a cliff. And it did. We were pretty right on terms of, in terms of home goods, electronics, computers. And I think we were talking about super inflation where your barber, your uh, beautician, they're going to raise the prices. They're most likely not going to lower their prices. And I think that's what we were referring to is uh, the services side, more sticky. And uh, that was probably the most obvious thing to say back then. But we were, we were right, yeah. I don't. But we didn't make a hard prediction of, you know, the inflation would be transitory. Um, I think you get skewed for saying that because – at the time when inflation peaked at 10%, that was such a bad word to say transitory, which yeah, what's the definition? Is it a year long thing? Cause that feels like forever, but in the grand scheme of things, that was pretty temporary. I mean, I think everybody was caught saying that. I think even the fed was caught saying that I've certainly yeah. said that. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I suppose where that went wrong is consumer spending held up, right? Cause if, if yeah. prices do come down, uh, that's when people stop buying things and prices go down to return buyers back in. People never stop buying things. So possibly that's what, you know, we had all these supply chain issues, which pushed prices up, you know, lumber costs, metal costs, things like that. 
those have more or less gone away. But then, you know, the, the stickiness of inflation has remained because people are still buying the same amount of goods. Maybe that's maybe that's an influencer as well. Yeah. And then just to cap off our recession call, you can't have a recession yeah. with 3.7% unemployment rate, um, especially <laughs> when the target is 5%. Just to you know, give everyone context, the great financial crisis, we saw 11% unemployment, so one out of every 10 was out of a job. Uh, the mm-hmm. Great Depression, right, 25% unemployment. So the mm-hmm. fact that we're seeing 37 just doesn't jive with any kind of recession reading other than, you know, maybe people being pulled are com- extremely unhappy about their job or their mm-hmm. job prospects, but it's just it's just not showing up in any of the data. 3.7 is considered full employment too, right? Like th- or three and a half, you know, the, the, in that realm is considered <clears throat> full. Five, five is the target because that kind of gives the economy enough slack to, wow. to keep wages relatively stable. So, yeah, we are beyond the, the full employment target. But that, that can mean something different now. Um, your definition could still be right because people left the workforce over the last three mm-hmm. years, right? And for good reason, they they were retiring. Mm-hmm. And when we, <clears throat> excuse me, when we had that many boomers retiring, which was predicted, right? Everyone's calling for this gray wave, and now it's a surprise that it, we have people leaving the workforce. Mm-hmm. Maybe three point five is the 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 equilibrium point. We don't know that until much later, right? And, yeah. You know, that's the problem with this kind of data is always hindsight will always it's going to be obvious in two years what what this this is going to be described as. But we just don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. OK, let's move to our second prediction. So you said that quality growth companies will win the year. That was right. You want to expand on that? Yeah, uh, let's define quality in finance speak is we weren't talking about the the high flyers meme stocks um, that don't make money. We're, we were talking about the magnificent like GameStop isn't quality? <laughs> Not quite. Unless they start making okay. a lot more profits. Um, and they grow the profits consistently. So I was specifically referring to the Googles, the Amazons, the Microsofts, Netflixes of the world where they actually make money. Hmm. And wouldn't you know it, the market rewarded them and you know the total of seven stocks so uh nvidia which was down 70 percent last year like who was screaming buy nvidia at the you know beginning of 2023 i wasn't i knew nvidia was profitable but i was saying buy companies the blue chip companies that actually make money in the growth sector specifically the tech sector and that was right in spades um I don't know if the market read my prediction. Um, if anything, it was because AI. It's I'll take credit for, uh, uh, I guess, a generational boom for a prediction. But I was simply pointing towards like a regression towards the mean, where just buy some, mm-hmm. buy good stuff cheap, and that's really mm-hmm. the the simple approach to it. Because I wasn't saying for sure. I wasn't saying AI. Um, I know. Microsoft launched ChatGPT in November 22, and so oh, there was OpenAI I did, and then Microsoft yeah, o- put an investment yeah. into OpenAI just just for correct. For, but it was public yeah. in November, but 
Yeah. Who was really talking about Intel? You saw Nvidia skyrocket and you saw Microsoft skyrocket and I think but I think the premise still works there is if you see a good company selling for cheap, it might be a good time to buy. It was just that simple. What's interesting is what happened in 2022 is many of these companies sold off. Nvidia sold off, as you said, Amazon sold off, Meta sold off, Microsoft, a lot of them did, but so did Smalltech. So like Peloton yep. and Redfin and Spotify and you know a lot of these other companies, well, what came back was the quality companies, as you said. Microsoft came back, Meta came back. Uh, Meta came back, I think, because they cut a ton of expenses. Um, so they, they swung interestingly from a growth company to a value company, which means they're undervalued and then back to yep. a growth company where they are now, just by how they were sort of like classified. Uh, but then a lot of these smaller tech companies have not come back nearly as much. Um, you know, pull up a chart of Redfin, pull up a chart of DocuSign, pull up a chart of, of um, uh, you know, Spotify. Like a lot of these companies yep. that were high flying in COVID times, you know, yes, they may have swung 100%. But, uh, you know, if you go down, if you go down 50%, you got to go up by 100 to get to get to where you are, where you were. Yeah. Uh, but if you go down 90%, um, you have to go up a lot more than 100%. I don't even know what that math is to get back to where you were. And a lot of these companies have not been able to successfully do that. So Correct. it really is, the lucky part is that most of us all own indexes. Indexes, generally speaking, are market cap weighted, which means that the bigger companies have a greater influence on the infl index. So the fact that, say, Microsoft goes up, has one of the largest influences on all of our index funds, just, I'm saying all of us collectively as humans who, who buy indexes versus if Redfin doubles, that doesn't really do much because it's Correct. such a small company relative to the size of, of you know, the Microsofts of the world. Yep. So I know we <clears throat> talked about it quite a bit. Um, so that one seemed at the time obvious and it was right. And I think um, <clears throat> quality won't always win. Uh, the names that Chris mentioned you know, they they were easily trouncing returns in 2020 and 2021 to an extent than the big Magnificent Seven names. So, yeah, again, yeah. <clears throat> that's it's it's look for good companies, hold them for the long term. I think that's really the, the thing we we're trying to say. OK, prediction number three, bonds will hold up after a historically bad year. That's been right. That <clears throat> at the time was pretty crazy um because the bond market was down 13 percent in 22 and there seemed like uh bonds worst were year not, in 100 years yeah worst year in 100 years it seemed like the bond market or the bonds in general are uninvestable assets at that point which i thought was kind of mm -hmm. crazy because we were suddenly looking at three and a half percent yields and mm -hmm. <clears throat> we also knew that the fed wasn't done raising rates so that three and a half percent in yields settled at the time of the writing at four and a half now the tenure is down to 4.1 but um the the bond market was not only resilient it was actually positive nearly two percent on the year so hmm. i know we've always been used to the bond math of when interest rates go up bond values go down yes to an extent but reinvestment opportunities arise so when when have we had cd rates at five percent or money market rates at five percent even bond rates at 5%. It's been a while. Yeah, and all those bonds and other paper that became due or matured, uh, 
you suddenly had a reinvestment opportunity at nearly triple the rate that you've been getting. So that was a huge boon for for fixed income investors who mm-hmm. took it on the chin in 2022. So um, again, obviously recovering 13% loss in the last year with 1% this year isn't much, but it doesn't take much at, you know, let, let's round up to 5% in coupons. That takes, you know, just a few years to build back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've talked in prior episodes about how CDs are hard to get and about how long-dated CDs, say a five-year CD, often has a call feature where you're probably not going to get 5% for the full five years. The, the bank can call that or uh, refund it, pay it off in a year, for example, because uh, everybody's essentially predicting that rates will fall sometime in the future, sometimes like sometime to, uh, towards the back half of next year. Next year, we'll prove if that's true or not, um, but that's definitely what the market is pricing in. And it'll be interesting to see how bonds are affected because if rates yep. do in fact fall, we should see yields fall, but we should see values actually go up uh, a bit further, which if that happens, that would shorten the recovery time on the you know 10% loss or so that 2022 sent the bond market. Correct. So I think it helps to think of bonds as... Uh, loaning money out to a borrower, right? And if you think it from the borrower's point of view, if you were going to go out to the mortgage market, would you be hesitant to load up on a 7%, 8% mortgage? You for sure would. And how would that? How is that really different from a Wells Fargo or really any bank that is essentially borrowing money at a high rate knowing that the rates that they're borrowing at would eventually go down, right? They're in business to make money. So why would they mm-hmm. freely give out five and a half percent? That's mm-hmm. that's tough to that's a tough gap to make up for if you're on the hook for that much of a liability from a borrower's point of view, right? When you're buying a bond, you're lending money to someone else, right? And they're borrowing from you, which mm-hmm. the stocks stocks work in a different way. But yeah, that one that one was to me was pretty predictable, even though there was a lot of pushback in saying bonds will do okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, shall we move into 2024 predictions that are sure to be wrong, as the title of your article always holds? <laughs> yeah, and I say sure to be wrong because predicting the future is a fool's errand, and I, we're here for it yet again, right? So um, prediction number one, the rest of the market will catch up to Magnificent Seven. Um, that doesn't mean that we're going to see That'd a crash. Really good. Those be- yeah, yeah. I think we're going to see a broad market catch up, meaning the smaller companies, um, specifically mid-cap, does well this year relative to the Magnificent Seven. Um, part of it is valuations, right? So if you grew that fast, your profits do need to eventually catch up to, to justify the valuation. And we've said, you know, the Magnificent Seven need need to more than double the profit growth than the rest of the S&P, which is pretty unsustainable. When you have that much profit growth, you're going to attract quite a bit of competition and or regulation so that's to, that's hard to, to be clear there to be clear there the, the market is paying a premium or valuing Correct. many of these big tech companies at a 2x premium relative to a similar company so they're saying a dollar of profit that microsoft makes is worth two dollars of profit for xyz company and so big tech is being valued at 
at double um, for, for their profits. So what that means is that the forward earnings, which I believe is about 30 times, so, so they're valued at 30 times forward earnings on average with these big companies relative to about 15 or so for everybody else, um, that means that there's more, there's more uh, uh, weight or scrutiny on the continued ability to grow. You know, Azure has to grow, AWS has to grow, retail sales has to grow, Google Cloud has to grow, uh, AdShare has to grow, uh, grow all of it and grow at yeah. a faster pace than what's being put on literally every other company that's out there in the universe. So we'll see if it can continue. We hope it'll continue, uh, but that's currently where the market is placing premiums. Yeah, and to be clear, uh, <clears throat> people who are calling for like a dot-com bust, I think it already occurred in the 2020 valuations in terms of like the mm -hmm. meme stocks. So it's a good these are profit. Yeah. yeah, these are profitable companies that make quite a bit of money, and they do do deserve a premium. Whether it's two x, it still remains to be seen, but. We think there's a lot of great companies out there that are poised to exceed lowered expectations, right? There's a mm -hmm. reason why mid-cap and small-cap have lagged relatively this year. They're mm -hmm. only up, what, 6 7% collectively as a group yep. versus 20% for the 20. entire S&P. <laughs> so there's, <clears throat> there's lowered expectations, and that's what we look for is kind of a semi-earnings recession, Meaning your earnings are so poor one year that the earnings the next year are don't have to jump over a higher bar. They just walk right. over it. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> Same effect happened in 2019 and 2017. Two great investing years. You have a, a quote in here that I, or a sentence in here that I have to read. The equal weight S&P 500. So that is the 500 companies in the S&P are now equally weighted versus market cap weighted. That's up 5% through November. Yeah. Meanwhile, the S&P is up 20%. Shows you the influence of the biggest of the big yeah. and the returns that they've generated and how that's struck back to the S&P. And I know that the NASDAQ is up almost 50%, um, which is crazy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. At last check, and it's swinging a little bit, but 40 to 50% is the return there. And, and that's about a 50% weight towards these big seven, really seven to 10 companies versus the, the S&P has roughly a 25% weight. More weight in what recovered this year has done well. Last year, that wasn't a great place to be, but that's not what we're talking about. We're just looking at this year for now. But yeah, the equal weight's only up 5%. That's wild. Yeah. yeah and the, to be clear, the NASDAQ dropped uh, nearly 40% <clears throat> last year. Yeah. So you don't get those kinds of rebounds yeah, right. out of thin air, right? Or out of, on the back of a you know, another good year all the time. It typically volatility bunches. So you get the good years on the back of a really bad year. Okay, prediction number two. This one <clears throat> very wonky or very technical, but the Fed will cut rate will not cut rates, rather but rather pause. So this does bake in some risk in expectations where it's currently pricing in the market is currently pricing in uh, rate cuts by June, at least three rate cuts by, by June. June. And Has that I moved up? Because I, I thought it was November last time yeah, we and recorded. It, which kind of coincides with the rally we've been seeing since November. Mm -hmm. Is um, mm -hmm. every, <clears throat> The market has been um, 
abnormally sensitive to rate expectations, which yeah. I don't think is sustainable either. Like, uh, just to bring everyone up to speed, November, well, we had a bit of a small correction in what, August, September, October? November erased all that and got all the gains back um, yeah. in a month. And, yep. and that coincided with rate expectations going down. Yeah. So, so those summer months uh, where we had the correction, the Fed was pretty effective in saying that we're going to keep rates higher for longer. And then it took three months for the market to call their bluff. If you want to call it a bluff, I think they're being serious. But <clears throat> the market reversed all the implied rate hikes in the future, which brings it back to June. When do you think rates will start to fall? Or let me say it this way, because rates will fall before the Fed cuts rates. So my question would be, when do you think the Fed will actually cut rates for the first time? Uh, <clears throat> I think a couple signals, so it'd be hard to to point a, pinpoint a date, but we would have to see unemployment go back up to the about 5% level before the, we even sniff uh, a rate cut. Uh, barring the fact of a you know big surprise, um, b- big surprise in our world mean means like we can't predict something like the bank failure in March, right? Or uh, Israel <laughs> sure, Hamas, remember that? Yeah, or Ukraine Russia, right? <clears throat> those those kinds yeah, of things that. can yeah can bring in a uh, an implied cut because um, not to boil the conflict down to rates, but you know. Uh, <clears throat> Interest rates rates went down when Hamas attacked Israel back in October 7th. Mm-hmm. And that's because global conflict has a thing of of reducing risk and risk assets and moving them to relatively safe assets like U.S. Treasuries. All that demand brings rates down, right? Mm-hmm. So when you do see, see things like that, hard to predict, right? I'm pretty sure we're going to see three big worldwide events next year that are going to rock the markets that we just have no clue that are going to hit. Three? <laughs> At least three. That's typically Jeez. the cycle that we kind of live in now. I hope you're wrong on that one. <laughs> All right, well, I'll go on record and I'll say that I think that the first Fed rate cut is going to be... I was going to say November, but it's an election year, and the Fed isn't going to want to look like correct. Their favorite ones influence there, so they're either going to go before or after. I do agree that it will be dependent on economic data. That's an interesting thing about unemployment, because thinking about unemployment getting to five is just like that's never going to happen, unless something crazy happens. But then the other thing, of course, is inflation. They they continue to keep their two percent target which it, inflation's come down, but we're well away from 2%. Correct. All right, Headline inflation, say, to be clear, I, is 4. 4% yep. still. Yeah. We got a long We're nowhere near. Go. Yeah. Nowhere near. Okay. I think the first rate cut will be December of 2024. I'm going to say April of 2025. Ooh, I was yeah. thinking 2025. That's the I'm thing sticking, with predictions because yeah, there's going to be things that we just don't see at this moment that will happen. Yeah, I got to write this down. So Chris predicts the first Fed rate cut is December 2024. How 
says, you said April 2025. So the Fed is doing a couple of things now that that could lift rates on the longer end of the curve. And what we mean is when the Fed raises rates, that only happens to impact the overnight rate, right? The 10-year mortgage rates are more market-generated, but the Fed has been actively purchasing mortgage bonds in the last, what, three years. So they're unloading that. They've been unloading that for the last year and a half. So I think uh, all the people who are saying the Fed has no buyers, there's plenty of buyers. I I could see pension funds picking that stuff up and sovereign wealth funds picking that stuff up. So um, there's a lot of demand still. And for as many many faults as the U.S. Treasury has, people are buying it up, especially if it's paying four and a half or it did pay four and a half. And the Fed will continue to be very um, cautious with their language because the market's trying to kind of front run the Fed in a way by yeah. by dropping yields on bonds to try to predict when they'll cut rates. Uh, and so the Fed is going to continue to come out and not signal at all that they're going to do that because the second that they do, rates are going to fall, market's going to jump, and they don't want to do that uh, because they want to make sure that their work that they've done over the last you know 18 months or so holds. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to prediction number three. All right. I'll, this one seems again wonky. Um, there's some real world consequences to this, though. The the dollar will weaken finally. Um, mm. Real world. Uh, do you remember some of the reports coming out? I would say September, October, about Disney World seeing a large decrease in tourists or a large mm-hmm. decrease in visitors, mm-hmm. and. You know, I think I did some of the the snooping. We won't know this data for sure in, for a couple of years, but Disney has reported about twenty percent of their visitors are from different countries. Hmm. And when the dollar is strong, right, going to Disney World or Disneyland as U.S. citizens is pretty expensive to us from our point mm-hmm. of view, right? Mm-hmm. But what's happened to the euro, to the yen? Uh, to really to every currency, major currency, relative to the U.S. dollar. They've gotten weaker, right? Yep. So remember the euro is trading at parity. It's one-to-one now. So anyone who's been to Europe in the last five years, it's always been about one-and-a-half to one, Mm -hmm. meaning your dollar doesn't go as far. Now reverse that. So if if you're a European wanting to visit Disney World in Florida, it's gotten a lot more expensive for you. To the tune of nearly 40%. Yeah. So so if <clears throat> Disney World is reporting a 20% drop in attendance, that could be attributed to... Sorry, I'm getting in the We need a water of, break. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that could be attributed to um, foreign visitors just seeing it's too expensive to go go pay admission tickets that have gone up in U.S. dollars, but it's yeah. gone up proportionally more in euros <clears throat> to book a room, to buy souvenirs, to buy <clears throat> food on on the park. It's gotten a lot more expensive for a foreign visitor to, to come to the U.S. and visit our attractions. Man, so when is this going to happen? Because for everybody out there, we all need to go do our international trips in the first half of the year or the second half yeah. of the year. So how we need your insights on yeah. on when to do this. 
Yeah, I remember my um, Japan. I do. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think the 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 fundamental reason is the Fed is done raising rates, but mm-hmm. other countries might not be. So if I could get uh, higher interest rates on Euro CDs or money markets, where I'm going to park my money in um, euros, right? Because because if the U.S. is paying, let's say four percent, and Europe is paying six percent. As a saver, <clears throat> I'm more likely to park my money in euros. Yep, makes sense. Yeah, and again, you have to kind of expand your lens to be a global point of view. And I think uh, pause will rel- <clears throat> will decrease demand in U.S. dollars and increase demand for foreign currencies. Man, I'm just checking a bunch of these. So, does that card that you have does that pay interest? It doesn't. It doesn't. But okay. No, no. Um, but since then, since we've talked, that card that I got and I bought yen, um, I'm up about five percent in about three months because the, <laughs> the U.S. Not dollar, brag. yeah, the U.S. dollar weakened relative to the yen, so the currency moves more than account for interest rate differences. But yeah, in a three month span, being up that much, it's it more than makes up for the loss of income. If you're in the right direction, I'm not suggesting currency trades. I, this that's not for the weak of heart. No, no, but, not trading. Yeah. I'm just thinking if I should go put a thousand bucks on this card that you have and like change it into Canadian dollars because you know I'll probably go up to Whistler or go up to Vancouver yeah, yeah. or something, and it seems like a good time. I think it. I think now when the dollar has, is historically strong, I can't see it going further unless the Fed announces a price hike, and I think. I think that's why the dollar will weaken relative to other currencies. Looking at um, pesos as well. I've got a couple trips down to Mexico in February. It looks like my timing has not been good so far. It was around 1 to 20. <laughs> For a while, it was holding around 1 to 20. And then uh, it's it, at the low, about 1 to eh, 16 and a half or so. Now it's like 1 to 17 and a half, which I feel yeah. like last time I went down there a number of years ago was 1 to 17 as well. Yeah, the Mexican peso has actually been the the other strong currency in the world. Why is that? Um, it's just I I think it's just de- supply demand supply dynamics. Demand. That's what makes currency such a hard thing to predict. Yeah. But yeah, uh, to Chris's point, if you're planning to go to another country, and it's six seven months out, I think it's still a good idea to load up on that local currency to kind of hedge any currency weakness or strengthening strengthening in your favor or not what's that card called again wise 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 we have no affiliation with wise nope um actually we'd love to hear in your comments if you have other ways i think i'm sure many of our listeners and and clients and whatnot travel internationally and probably do some of this stuff so we'd love to hear what you do do you use wise do you use something else yeah shoot us a note team at concilio wealth we'd love to hear so where this can go wrong, because I've been calling for a weakening dollar for the last five years. I've been wrong five years in a row. Um, so why should you listen to me? I think a couple things is <laughs> <clears throat> geopolitical. Uh, right now, do you know the interest rate on an Argentinian bond right now? Oh, it's uh, 100%, I think, right? 133%. Wild, right, for a bond. Why wouldn't I go buy one of those? 
with it's like a small amount of money, right? With like Vegas, Vegas amount of money. Yeah, right? it's because their inflation rate is 150%. So you're net losing about 17%. Uh, I can't uh, buy it in dollars. I yeah. have to move it into you, you, to buy an Argentinian bond. You have to purchase in Argentinian pesos, uh-huh. which is in uh-huh. going through hyperinflation. So because of that, which is really unpredictable, right? Um, Argent Argentina uh, voted a new president that is going to move their currency to U.S. dollars. So that is increasing more demand for U.S. dollars. Oh um, man, yeah one. This is the one year, I just looked up, $1 to the Argentine peso. One year ago, $1 would buy you 172 Now it's Today, like three, three 366 something. Yeah. So, wow, clearly, man. you'd be better off just leaving your $1 earning 5% of the bank. Yes, <laughs> because eventually, once that bomb matures, you have to convert those Argentinian pesos, if they're worth anything, back to U.S. dollars. Uh, will you get a dollar back? Will you get 80 cents back? Who knows? That's wow, the- and it's just been going that way. Sorry to interrupt you. So this is a five-year chart. It used to be 1 to 38. <laughs> yeah. Hyperinflation wow. is nasty. And I think any country that's suffering through that ditches their local currency and pegs against the U.S. dollar. Hmm. And in turn, that strengthens the U.S. dollar because it increases demand for the U.S. dollar. Uh, it's a reason why oil trades in U.S. dollar worldwide, right? We're not trading oil in Chinese yuan or, uh, you know, drachmas. We're trading in U.S. dollar. Isn't there so, talk of risk of that? Because it's, it's called the petrodollar, right? And, and yeah. isn't there talk of risk of, of oil being traded outside of U.S. currency? Yeah, yeah I think it's more for headlines. Uh, <laughs> it's Consider the countries that are talking. It's Brazil. It's Russia. It's India. It's China. Yeah, and yeah. Argentina. Would you want to own any of those currencies over the U.S. dollar at this very moment? Uh, probably not. No. And what about a collective group? Still hard yeah. no, right? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, uh, so that's <clears throat> good luck. Good luck with that. Um, but again, a weakening dollar isn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, we have Microsoft selling in Europe. We have uh, Netflix subscriptions going in China and Japan. Well, not China, but... Um, you see what I mean is the the weakening dollar increases purchasing power for foreign consumers, which helps our multinationals, mm-hmm. right? And I use Disney as an example. If the dollar weakens enough, Disney might see an uptick in attendance because mm-hmm. it's cheaper, right? Cheaper, relatively speaking, cheaper for a European to come back and visit. And I guess... I guess that could then negatively influence travel. Uh, trade is probably way, not probably, trade is bigger than travel, but uh, I, I know of a lot of our clients have visited Europe and some of these countries because the exchange yeah, rates are so, yeah. so good. Great time to do it. I still have yet to do it, although I keep talking about it. Um, but that could negatively influence tourism and travel, which... Um, outgoing, but outgoing. incoming. Yeah, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. outgoing. Yeah. But so incoming, that could be not York, great for yeah. greater Europe. Europe is what I'm saying. Which, yeah, which is fine, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Because, because we would see more European travel boosting our tourism. Again, sure. it, it, it ebbs and flows, and I think that's the point we're trying to make about a weak dollar or a strong dollar and rah, 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 USA. It's not that. It's more of dynamics, purchasing power dynamics. Okay, so how is selling his European hotel chains... 
and he's yes. buying uh, his yeah. U.S. hotel chain. So I got, I got yeah. it. Okay. I right, got, the, US, I got the messaging. Because the U.S. dollar is still the U.S. dollar from our point of view, right? We're mm-hmm. still going to go to Disneyland and Disney World here, but from a European point of view, if the dollar weakens, they could buy that much more in in goods and services here. Yeah, yeah. I, All right, I, so I can to see summarize, a lot of corporations so, yeah, benefiting. So to summarize, so 2024 predictions, number one is the rest of the market will catch up to the Magnificent Seven. That includes mid and small size U.S. companies and some international and stuff. That would be really, really good. Potentially, uh, year number three, which is the U.S. dollar will weaken, will actually help become a tailwind for that as well. Um, uh, because many of the S&P 500 companies trade outside the U.S. Uh, I believe it's something like 40% of revenues come yeah. from outside the U.S. Do you know that figure? It is 40%. S&P 500, yeah, 40% yeah. of S&P 500 companies' revenues are received uh, uh, globally outside of the U.S. Interesting. Okay, so rest of the market will catch up to the Magnificent Seven. That's number one. Number two, the Fed will not cut rates, but they will rather pause. And again, Chris is predicting that the first Fed rate cut will be in December of 2024. That might sure be wrong. But hey, how says April of 2025? We're still both given about a year plus. I know. I think I just think I'm worried about the the elections and the Fed, what the Fed will try to not look like being influenced by. So they they will either cut well before the elections, but very much not close to. um, Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, I'm sticking with it. December of 2024. How says April of 2025? And number three. U.S. dollar will weaken, finally. So get your European and your Canadian and your foreign trips, except for Mexico. Mexico seems to already have have uh, <laughs> yeah, priced in. So that's yeah. strong. Get all that done in the first part of the year. Uh, At least, if, yeah. Park some of your U.S. dollars in those foreign currencies for right now. If you if you are planning a trip, that will help lessen the blow if the U.S. dollar does weaken. That's right. And let us know what you're using to do that because how uses wise and we want to see if he's wise. Yeah, this is a better app. Yeah, this is a better app. Let us know. That'd be awesome, (laughs) actually, to get that feedback. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's been an awesome year on the pod. It's been an awesome year on our YouTube growth. If you are not subscribed, please do. Please tell your friends. Forward the emails that you get from us to your friends. We really want to get our our viewership up uh, next year. I'd say we, we could double it, but I think that's conservative. Um, I think we can we can probably 10x our, our our viewership next year. So thanks everyone that supported us this year and, and, and tuned into our content. Um, uh, and we'll catch you in early 2024. All right. Thanks for listening.